Hi, I'm Whitley Strieber. I am putting this on the free side of this week's Dreamland because some of you may have navigated to this website for the first time after seeing the documentary about my experiences, my strange experiences on the Travel Channel. Normally, Dreamland runs every week except on holidays, and this is a holiday weekend. So what we're doing this time is we are repeating Last week's Dreamland, which has been very popular and is well worth your time, it's with a man called Paul Eno, uh, who has had some truly amazing experiences, originally as the assistant of an exorcist when he was uh, preparing to join the uh, Catholic clergy. He didn't do that and went another direction in his life. His experiences are amazing. It's well worth listening to or watching. Now, if you've never been to this site before, or heard Dreamland before, or seen Dreamland before, the show started in 1998, and so did the site, uh, and we became a daily news website just after 9-11. The site publishes three or four news stories a year, a week, excuse me, a day, yeah, a week, and it is vast. It has all of Dreamland back to 2004. It is a repository of all kinds of well-researched, well-written, and credible stories at the edge of reality. It has a powerful search engine. You can almost look almost anything up on our search engine and get stories dating back for, in the case of the written part of it back to 1998. So it's pretty wonderful, I think. And uh, of course, I would think that. It's my website. In any case, uh, it was founded by Ann Streber as Whitley's World originally, and it has been around for a long time. It has a beautiful social community on it. The free side of the site has a pretty big social community. The subscriber side, an even bigger one. Uh, every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock uh, Pacific time, you can chat with me. I'm usually in the chat room on uh, Wednesday nights at 7 Pacific. On some Saturdays, we have one-on-one -on -one video conferences with our guests and Unknown Country subscribers. The site does not sell data. It does not sell your data. It's a very private website in that sense because many of the people who come here have had close encounter experiences and their privacy and their anonymity are very important to their welfare. And we respect that. Uh, if you do subscribe, uh, and I urge you to do that, you get the full show every week without any ads in it. The free show runs 45 minutes and has ads in it. Of course, the free side of the site is very extensive, too, so if you don't want to subscribe, you can still enjoy and get the benefit of everything that's here. Uh, exploringunknowncountry.com is a really fun hobby, I can assure you. Uh, there's a lot here, and you will learn a great deal by exploring both the old shows and the stories, the news stories alone. My blog is here, and Strieber's blog is here. We have a section called Climate Watch, which, along with the coming global superstorm, sadly enough, accurately predicted 
the climate situation that exists now. Uh, it's not really a political website, uh, so we don't have much politics on the site. There's not a lot of that. There's a little bit here and there, but it's really more oriented toward inner search, spiritual search, the unknown, close encounter experiences, and things like that. Anyway, I hope you enjoy unknowncountry.com and Dreamland. And if you get into it, what an idea. Why don't you subscribe and join us as well? It's well worth it. This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today on Dreamland, we have a guest who has never been with us before, I am astonished to say. Paul Eno is one of the first paranormal investigators of the early 1970s. He's an award-winning journalist. He's the author of nine books, including Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God which we are going to be talking about today and much, much more because we are looking right now or listening to or will be listening to in a moment one of the world's most experienced paranormal investigators. He and his son Ben have co-hosted the Boston Providence radio show Behind the Paranormal for over 10 years. And I'm going to be on that show in October sometime, probably the first Sunday in October. Now, welcome to Dreamland. Paul, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much, Whitley. It's a great honor to be with you. Uh, you were on our show once with Tom, Tom Reed a uh, long, long time ago, but um, we're going to have you back and we can't wait. Well, I've been on practically every show there is a long, <laughs> yeah. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been on most of them. Um, and I, I must be f frank that I don't remember a lot of them because it's just too many. But anyway, thank you for having me on, and I'm sure I have a, had a great time because one of the things I always enjoy is doing shows. I have a great time, and I guess one of the reasons the visitors probably dropped into my lap all of a sudden was that they figured, well, he's a real talkative guy. He's gonna, he'll do this crazy thing. Okay. Uh, now, you let's talk a little bit about your early years, which are themselves. I mean, the whole it's a whole stunning lifetime. But let's go way back to the seminary and to the start of things when you were you were becoming a. Uh, well, tell us about it. Well, okay, uh, the beginnings of my interest in the paranormal were really long before I entered the seminary to become a priest. Uh, that was when I was seven years old. And as you can imagine, uh, this was very difficult to talk about. But um, I was a witness at the age of seven to my father's suicide. And of course, this was a, a terrible milestone in life. And I was in a, uh, now he was a garden variety Protestant. My mother was a Roman Catholic. My brother and I were raised Roman Catholics. In fact, he was already in the seminary at the time and became a priest in 1963. 
But I was in a very strict Catholic school with the Sisters of Mercy, if you can believe the name. And uh, they were either, to me, either saints or potential axe murderers. However, Sister Joel in second grade was my teacher. And I went to her. We were being taught things like if you had a hot dog on Friday or committed suicide, you went straight to hell. And I said, what am I supposed to believe here? I mean, you know, my father was a wonderful man. She said, well, in so many words, God is kind of bigger than all that. And and that really, really got me through. So as the years went by, I decided myself to uh, study for the priesthood. So in 1967, at the age of 14, when you could still do this, I entered the minor seminary, as it was called, high school level. And uh, if you got through the six-year program, which included high school and junior college, you could go on and, um, you know, and, and study further in the major seminary. But all along, I'm wondering, where is my father? So in 1970, I happened to see an article in the Hartford Current. This is Hartford, Connecticut, where I, uh, the area in which I grew up. And it was about a uh, an old man in the northeast corner of Connecticut in the town of Pomfret, who uh, since the 1940s had been exploring this old abandoned village and had all kinds of strange photographs that would, would come out. And uh, these were the days before uh, digital media, so there would be you know, splashes of light, streaks moving through the trees. And I, I said, this is an interesting place to test out my theory that ghosts, commonly known as earthbound spirits, are, in a good Catholic boy's mind, uh, souls in purgatory. Now, purgatory being uh, a construct that uh, the Western mind put together to explain, if you can't go to heaven uh, just yet, and you're not bad enough to go to hell, you go to be purged in this state, whatever it is, uh, until you're ready to go to heaven. So purgatory is kind of a place in between. I suppose in a way, almost like the ancient Jewish concept of Sheol. But anyway, I decided I'm going to test this out. And there are all sorts of strange things that supposedly happened there. Well, five other seminary students and I uh, got in touch with it, with this man. His name was Harry Chase. And off we went to Pomfret, Connecticut. And uh, we had some incredible experiences from day one. You walked in there, you would hear the... Uh, People talking, cows booing, dogs barking, as if it was a normal day for somebody else. And, uh, and, and, and make a long story short, I very quickly decided that um, the whole dead people thing might be off. Maybe the old ideas weren't quite good enough. And, for example, uh, at the end of our second expedition uh, in 1971, we were all standing there bright, Sunlit Sunday morning, and there was an, it felt, sounded like an ox cart coming down this old path. And we figured, I don't know, maybe somebody drives teams as a hobby. Or and along came this thing. You could hear the hoofbeats of the oxen or horses. You could hear the wooden wheels of the cart, but you couldn't see it. It was no more than about 25 feet from us. And uh, we could hear a guy cracking a whip and yelling, yeah, this sort of thing. And in ensuing years, I found out that I was related to these people. The Eno, it doesn't sound like it, but it's an old Yankee family. And 
this this was the Randall and Higginbottom families who had lived in this place. And I think if I knew then what I think I knew now, I I would be able to perhaps change uh, and make Mr. Randall have a very interesting day by interacting with that phenomenon. And um, fascinating. How would well, you know, wait a minute, free dreamlanders. I have a wonderful moment in your life and I know you love it because you don't ever subscribe to the show. So you must love these. We'll be right back. Have you ever read communion or have you never read communion? It's out in a new edition very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me it's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. UnknownCountry.com It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley-Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. Whitley Strieber audiobooks, communion, transformation, the secret school, breakthrough, majestic, and so much more powerful meditations, but more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. We're talking to Paul Eno. His website, behindtheparanormal.com, 
his new book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, whom we will get to later. We, we, um, you mentioned before we stop or earlier on your fascination with the fact that it was a mortal sin to eat a hot dog on Friday. I was also a little Catholic boy, and I used to sneak out and eat hot dogs on Friday so that I would be in mortal sin and be condemned to hell. The nuns that I was with made heaven sound so fantastically dull that if I had a choice, I was going to definitely take hell. So anyway, but let's let's get on uh, now. We're sure. Okay. One thing I want to say about the Pomfret case, Paul, is I also have had an experience of hearing a wagon that you couldn't see, and I ended up moments later plunged back in time to a, exactly to. To, uh, sometime in the 1880s, oddly enough, this experience happened across the street from where Nikola Tesla's lab would have been in the 1880s mm. and uh, in Manhattan. And my listeners have know this story. I've told it more than once. But uh, for those listeners who don't know, suffice to say that it seems that movement through time is possible. And was that related to what happened at, in Pomfret? Well, precisely, Whitley. I think what the, the, what really was uh, striking here was that you you go into these things as a neophyte, assuming that the old ideas are correct. And the first thing I'd started to notice from day one here was that uh, it it seemed that we're dealing more with time than with death. And what is time? I mean, in, in ensuing decades, uh, I and then my son and I have come to the conclusion that of course uh, the the quantum approach to the multi the multi multiple worlds interpretation or Everett universes is, is a far more interesting way to, to describe the paranormal than dead people. We've had on our show eminent names such as uh, Fred Allen Wolf, Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, who pretty much agreed with us. So yeah, I know time Dr. Wolf's work, of course. Yeah. So time, no, no, apparently... It, you also mentioned in your book Einstein's comment that time doesn't exist. Well, special relativity implies very strongly that, all time, that there is no past, there is no future. It's a function of our consciousness. Because we're not there yet from an evolutionary point of view in order to apprehend it all. And we, when we start to apprehend it all, and this is what I started to see when working in a pastoral capacity at St. Lawrence State Hospital near near my seminary in upstate New York. Was the people well, hold on a minute. Let's go back to yeah. there. Okay, we're now we're at not the, the high school level seminary, but you're you're now in the full scale seminary and you have a particular mentor as I recall. Yes, uh, that was in the book. I call him Wheeler, Father Lawrence Wheeler. Was Father Lawrence, but I, his last name he recently passed, and I didn't want his family to get upset. So, uh, yeah. each diocese or or division of the Roman Catholic Church, regional division headed by a bishop, has um, an exorcist. Now, people think that priests uh, are trained in the paranormal. 
They are not, as a rule. Certain ones are chosen. And I think from what he told me, it would have been me, in my case, uh, to receive training in the paranormal or, or their narrow view of it and uh, go on to be the go-to person in the diocese for a parish priest who may have somebody who has uh, their furniture dancing around the living room, that that sort of thing. And now, uh, Let's just hold on a minute. Their narrow view of it. Can you expand on exactly what their narrow view of it is? And that that'll sure. be a baseline here. The, uh, the the view of the pretty much the Roman Catholic Church is uh, they're very iffy on the idea of ghosts. But uh, as one exorcist uh, told me, I don't believe in ghosts. I believe in demons. And it's not a far cry from what the evangelicals say that everything is demonic. Okay, so uh, you're not supposed to do the medium thing. Uh, you're supposed to be very, very cautious. With, uh, not a bad idea uh, in approaching anything that's paranormal. And uh, don't trust anything. And uh, don't think you're talking to dead people because they don't believe that you are. And the whole and, and to get into time and uh, simultaneity of time and all that is is really quite a theological exercise. But but that, in my experience, did not enter into it. So it's a very narrow uh, view that sees demons as servants of satan literally rather you know rather than anything else and it's um it is it is very narrow because the interpretations are uh, are are very narrow in your uh, that answers view your well before i ask this this big sort of bridge question about evil i'm going to ask you what your view of evil is but i want to before i go there Let's talk a little bit about Father Lawrence and your relationship with him. And let's talk about the first thing that happened. That There's some phenomenal stories about what happened when you and Father Lawrence were working together. Well, I, uh, this is at Wadhams Hall Seminary in upstate New York. Now, I graduated from St. Thomas Seminary, the minor seminary, and going on to the last two years of college. And at the time, everybody had to study philosophy. So the only major offer there was philosophy. So I was in my last two years of college, and I noticed a, a, a very quiet priest who lived at the seminary but did not teach. And he'd see him sort of gliding down the hallway, and he had this uh, sort of buzzy voice that was kind of unique. And <clears throat> at one point, about a month and a half after I arrived, he called me to his room. And uh, I, you know, didn't know him at all. And he said, I understand you've been working with Ed Lorraine Warren, uh, <clears throat> who are well-known from the Conjuring films and all that sort of thing. And I said, yeah, yes, Father, I have. And he apparently liked their work. They adhered very strictly to the, the narrow Roman Catholic viewers, or said they did anyway. And um, we had, a several, had several conversations, and it turned out that he was the Catholic chaplain at the St. Lawrence State Hospital just down the road from us. We were right on the St. Lawrence River. Augensburg, New York, and he was uh, <clears throat> um, also apparently, as I found out later, the exorcist for the Diocese of Augensburg, and while he was there doing the Catholic chaplain thing, uh, he was also uh, on deck if uh, the doctors and hospital staff were standing in a room and stuff started flying off shelves on the other side or their carts started to roll by themselves, you know, th things that were not attributable to any psychosis with which the patient had been diagnosed. So he asked if I would be willing to assist him 
And uh, the rest is uh, quite the story you referred to. The first incident was a girl named Barbara, and she was under the age of, she was 17. So uh, she was, we had, we judged that, or he judged that an exorcism was necessary because poltergeist phenomena were occurring. Uh, blankets would be torn off her bed. There would be pounding on the walls. It got to the point where they had to move her to a separate room by herself so didn't the other patients wouldn't get upset. So <clears throat> this is in October of 73. And uh, there, I don't know if you want me to go into the case right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated. I hope my my, my audience is too. Uh, yeah, let's yeah. definitely go into the case right now. And remember, I'd never seen anything like this before, but there were, um, the, the, it was judged that an exorcism was needed, which, which meant following the, the Roman ritual of exorcism, which includes, it's, it's a very, very long prayer. It can take several hours. And it includes three actual exorcism prayers. Well, here we were in this room, and the poor girl was 17. A parental signature was required, and uh, her mother was in worse shape than she was, you know, drug addicted. Very, very bad time in the north country of New York economically. A lot of the farms were being foreclosed on. There were a lot of patients, inpatients and outpatients here who had uh, drug addictions, things of this kind. And so, Barbara, uh, we began... Over several days, the exorcism prayers. The most dramatic things that happened were at one point. Uh, they said, now, "Let me tell you who was there. There was Father Lawrence, myself. There was a doctor, two nurses. I should have said a doctor, a nurse, and two attendants. One of whom was me, and the other one was a guy named Leonard, who actually worked at the hospital. And uh, so, now tell it. Wait a minute." Uh, Tell us a little bit about more about Barbara. What what was her diagnosis, for example? Okay, uh, she was diagnosed uh, with schizophrenia. She had a drug addiction. She was in treatment for that, and um, I didn't see her medical record. I wasn't allowed to. But no, there were there were not. things. But but there were things that w- that would happen. For example, at one point I mean, she was in a wheelchair. And at one point, she rose out of the wheelchair, not using her legs. She was still in a seated position. And Lennon and I actually had to, to reach up and push her back down into the chair. You actually, you were there. Yeah, I was there. I, well, I actually had to, to do listen. Uh, we're gonna we before we get into this story in more detail, Free Dreamlanders. We're going to take a little break right here. There's a new world coming if we can take it. What does that mean? The first part of the message is if we can take it for ourselves on our own terms. The second part of the message is can we bear the newness and the huge expansion of human consciousness that is going to be involved? Can we take it, a new world. It doesn't mince words. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly like it is, and it leaves a message behind. Can you do this? Do you want to? Do we have an alternative? Right now, 
at this point in history, mankind is either going to get a lot bigger or not. I choose to go forward. I choose to live for and in the future. I choose the future. A new world. We can take it. Available in hardcover, softcover, audiobook, and Kindle. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look... He didn't look completely human, but he, because he had very, very thin hair, almost non-existent, but he was young, I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more, not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audiobooks, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show and its entire run, Ann Strieber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. We're talking to Paul Eno. His website, Behind, not Beyond, BehindTheParanormal.com. Um, there is a weekly radio show. I, I, can we listen to it on the website? If we're not in the, uh, sure. in the area? Uh, right, that, that, that's true. You can, uh, at BehindTheParanormal.com in the archives, there are over 1,100 hours of shows and special shows that we've done. Uh, if you're not in the Boston Providence area, it's, it's carried live on TuneIn.com and the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. Oh, great. Okay, and the new book is Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. And we were sort of uh, poltergeisting away here, just getting ready to. But uh, she lifts out of the wheelchair. 
Now, you put your hands on her, you push her back down into it. How did that feel? It was very electrical. You know, I, I've always, and some people don't, this doesn't happen to, but I've always noticed a tremendous electrical field in the presence of these things. It kind of washes over your body. And and uh, I was feeling that the whole time this was going on. And when I touched her, there was a very small static electricity charge. Pushed it, pushed her back down. Leonard was on the other side. And it's at one point in the third exorcism, when it was done a third time, uh, a few days later, the nurses had to tie her into the chair so she wouldn't float away. And, you know, with, with, with uh, soft uh, towels and sheets and things, they just use those to tie. Now, so, this um, is just absolutely fascinating. I mean, you're well, talking I was, about uh, yeah. the impossible. Of well, exactly. You've lived with it for so long, it's no big deal for you. But, well, it was then. Well, of I mean, course here I am, you know, I'm 20 years old, young seminary student, and uh, but I got the impression that something was not right, and it had it was it was what we were doing. I was getting the impression that this thing was feeding on what we were doing. The uh, exorcism prayer is very commanding. There are several times uh, when the priest uh, is told to to demand the name of the demon and uh i i we, we would have long talks father lawrence and i after each session uh, back at the seminary and he would say i would say father you know these are demons for crying out loud how do you know they're telling the truth when they tell you their name and he said well well they're bound by the the power of christ to tell the name so yeah i, I that sounded okay to me and uh, but i just got the impression that we we were helping it not hurting it and you know i'm 20 year old seminary student you know like they're going to listen to me so it just um everything was off just like it had been a pomfret the old ideas that did, didn't seem to work but i say it must be me i must have some kind of issue with something for me to not believe what everybody else believes so um, as as time went by probably the scariest people ask me what's the scariest thing that ever happened to me in the paranormal and it had to be during this uh, Barbara case, which as I say was the first exorcism I had ever participated in. And at one point, it did say its name. And she, and Barbara told us that the, the name was Chal, which I assume is spelled C-H-A-L-L. I've never seen it anywhere before or since. And the father, the father said, you know, go look it up. So I spent a lot of time in the library days before the internet here. So I, I found a family uh, a guy that taught at Harvard, taught psychology, and his name was Chow. He was from India, but I, I don't know. That's all I found. So at one point, he demanded the name, and a voice came out of her that I had never heard anything like it before, and it said Chow. And in my mind, I didn't give anything. I just In my mind, I said, yeah, right, because I didn't trust this. The thing somehow perceived what I was saying, and out it comes with with a a sentence that the doctor had to look it up because he was the only, only one allowed to record this, and it turned out it was in perfect Malay, the Malay language, and uh, I I didn't know what it said until the end of the year, and Father 
Lawrence called me in uh, just before we went home for the summer that the following year, which was 74. And he said, um, I, I, I can't let you go home without telling you what this said. Uh, and he said, when we translated it, it said, I, this is difficult. I was there when your father killed himself. I told him to do it, quote unquote. So I don't know what Father Lawrence expected me to do, whether leave this field and just keep my nose in my books and keep studying theology. But um, in, in a way, it made me more determined than ever to fight these things and, and to get to know what they really are. And that somehow I still didn't think they were demons. So it was that that was that they was are, a, a landmark. I, I deal with them in my life all the time. I, the, I, I, the, the, there are all kinds of different shadings, but the particularly negative ones are so deceptive. They're masters of deception. And on that note, free dreamlanders, do not be deceived. These commercials are important. Definitely do what we say and you will be so very happy. Did we misunderstand the teaching of Jesus? Perhaps a long time ago. Perhaps almost as soon as he rose from the dead. We mistook him for something that he may not have been. But we do know one thing, he was one of us. His life and his resurrection reveal the power of the good in all of us. And his teaching shows anybody, whether they have religious beliefs or not, how to find that goodness and live it. Get Jesus a new vision. It's available as an audio book. It is available as a paperback and as a Kindle. Get it today. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country. Join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com There's no place like it in the world. We're talking to Paul Eno. BehindTheParanormal.com is his website. You can listen to his radio show, 1,100 hours of it on that website. Uh, it's also on TuneIn Radio and other places. Uh, what's the show called, Paul? Uh, it's called Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Okay, and so we're talking now about the Paranormal, and his book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist's 
parasites, parallel worlds, and God. Now, we are in a situation here where this young woman, obviously struggling, is has said these words, and they have a relevance to you that's very sinister. And as I said a moment ago, I'm very familiar with this type of deception. Uh, it's extremely evil. And I've had just recently, in recent months, I've had some spectacular examples of it in my life. How did you cope with this? You're told this and then you're sent home for the summer. How hard well, that must have been. It was, well, fortunately, I had a, a, another uh, classmate uh, who was going as far as Vermont. I dropped him off. I couldn't, I couldn't tell him about this. But just, just having him, he was a good friend, uh, was very, very encouraging. Uh, at the time that the, the sentence was spoken, had that been in English, I probably would have ended up a patient at this place myself. Uh, <clears throat> you know, th this thing said it was there. You know, I was a terrified seven-year-old boy in a cold January evening just standing over my father. It, it was just... You know, it was, but but it really gave me the impression that these things were feeding on this. Um, yeah, that it was actually wanted you to experience these emotions. Pushing buttons. Pushing buttons, precisely. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so is really pushing your buttons. How could it? Was it there? Do you think or? If not, then how could it have known about this? Well, it was very confusing until the end of the 1970s when I started running into people who were seeing ghosts of themselves, people seeing ghosts of people who hadn't died yet, uh, phantom buildings that were there one day and gone the next. And it began to expand what I believed was happening here in the paranormal that uh, it was, as we discussed earlier, more to do with time than with death and with uh, the ability to be in several worlds at the same time. Again, going back to quantum mechanics and the multiple worlds interpretation, the uh, what we've found and, and other cases in the book uh, will, to me, lend credence to this idea, was that there are multiple parallel words, perhaps an infinite number, in which there are many, many versions of us. We may have died in some, not in others. And there is every possible outcome. Uh, the whole thing of, you know, if I were to drop uh, my phone on the floor right now, I might need a new phone. Uh, but I've also created another world in which I dropped the phone. The one in which I did not drop the phone keeps keeps going unchanged. So uh, th this kind of began to take hold by the end of the 70s. And so this thing was uh, a multiversal creature, as are we. It's just uh, the more aware uh, of that that we are, other lives and other facets of ourselves, the more likely they're going to fill our pockets with antipsychotic drugs and send us on our way. And whereas we're probably normal, the people prescribing the meds are, are less, maybe less so. So I think this thing was a multiversal creature that experienced the simultaneity of time, was able to access <clears throat> a point, an, an identity point, 
or an overwash point. These are words my son and I have actually had to invent. There's a glossary in the beginning of the book you mentioned, Dancing Past the Graveyard, that, that, that defines some of these, just so we can talk about them. So I think this is a multiversal creature that had some control over its awareness in various times and places. That's how it knew. And then the question becomes, why? Why is this happening this way? Because, boy, are you not the only person who's been attacked like this. I mean, I'm talking, in my case, it, it happens quite frequently. I also yeah. have a good side, which my listeners know all about, to my experiences. But these attacks are, are not uh, uncommon. And uh, what, what, when you say feed, what do you mean by feed on it? I wish I could put a more specific finger on it, but it seems that anything that divides, that is negative, that uh, and especially divides people, uh, is um, something that they will feed upon. Anything that unites uh, will repel them. Ben and I, where well, I used to go charging into these cases with, you know, crosses, holy water, or whatever religion the people happen to be, sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't work. Same thing with these exorcisms. And so what um, I came to the conclusion was with the simplest approach is better. Ben and I call it the Peter Pan theory. Think happy thoughts. Anything that's positive, a positive faith, humor. I once got rid of the worst poltergeist I ever dealt with by using a joke book. Uh, not uh, something I'd generally recommend, but in this case it worked. Um, and so these things are life forms, multiversal life forms, you know, again, as are we, will go from world to world to eat. That's all, that's all this is about. Uh, our, our folklore has, has uh, chalked them up as servants of Satan, and they fill the bill, but uh, I, I don't think that in their essence they're anything more than life forms, cosmic mosquitoes, if you will, who will suck the life out of us in the sense of negative energy. When we uh, advise families, and even if we're all wet, this is good advice for any family, to come together, stand together, tell, tell your loved ones that you, that you love them now. Don't wait. Tomorrow could be too late. When this positivity comes in, every time these things are repelled. And uh, so I would take a very, I would have taken a very different approach to Barbara's case had I uh, known then what I think I know now. So I think that these are, they're just hungry and hostile life forms. So these, the, the thing is fascinating about the negative entities is that they are so aggressive. And is there, now you say that they're not demons in your opinion. Well, well th th that, they might that's as well be. That, yeah, they might as well be. But remember, um, in our opinion, we put labels on things that we can understand. And a demon has all kinds of baggage, like a servant of Satan. You know, and maybe they, maybe we're all wrong. But I think that you have to look beyond the label into something that maybe we don't understand, and uh, to to see their, their modus operandi and, and to to see what they do. As a matter of fact, we're working with a behavioral scientist right now to try and uh, perhaps uh, do a book on the behavior 
of these parasites, which, which we have narrowed down to about nine different species. Uh, they are all intelligent. They all learn. They seem to have a culture. At times, there are seem to be they seem to have leadership. Uh, they start with um, what we call the wise, not wise in any sense that's good to us. Uh, moving all the way down to the tricksters and the brats, who are two-dimensional thinkers and maybe work alone. Others seem to work um, in uh, packs, farming, for lack of a better term, families and individuals maybe for generations. Uh, and it, it's really a, a, an entirely different world. And I've encountered them, as apparently you have, Whitley, uh, yeah, in many, many times, times in many places. Yeah, they're, they're a big part of my life. I'm, I, I live with this. I want to ask you this. What about physicality? Because I've had three of them became were entirely physical in my life, and they were not human beings in any way, shape, or form. But they, yeah. looked, they looked human, sort of. But, but they, had, they had the capacity to enter your mind. They could not speak. I saw two of them, or rather one of them, walk into a drugstore, completely control the minds of all the people in the drugstore, steal, rob the place, I mean, just load up with smoking materials, and walk right out of the store, walked right past me with this sinister expression on his face, because he knew I could see him. I could see him. What in the hell was going on there? Paul, do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, well, well, my earliest experiences of, of the physicality of these things made me wonder, are we really dealing with spirits, which are by definition non-corporeal? And that, that went all the way from the, the Pomfret case with the physical experiences of the ox, drive, ox cart driver and all sorts of other things that happened we don't have time to discuss, all the way up to <clears throat> a few years later at the uh, the... Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974, which much has been made of on TV lately, uh, the, the the Monday night of the case, Ed and Lorraine Warren had gone off to do some TV interview. I was in the house with the family, and out from the little girl's room and the the kitchen, uh, <clears throat> there came these four entities. Now, from the minute I stepped foot in there, I got the impression there were four entities involved here. At the time, I still thought they were demons. We were working with a priest. We were trying to get permission to do, from the local bishop to do an exorcism, which okay. never came. And the four of these things came down the hallway. One of them came right in front of me, and the little girl, Marcy, was behind me. I was trying to protect her. This thing came right up to me. You could, you could, you could see kind of a gauzy structure. And I just, I, I, this is where I learned you don't get annoyed, fearful, or angry in the face of these things because they feed on it. Parasites. So I, I just unconsciously kind of tried to push it away with my shoulder. And it pushed back. And then it got around me and threw the little girl across the room. And the, this thing was a physical structure. <laughs> let's, let's hold on. Hold on. Uh, you know, the, you're used to this, talking about this. We're not. Well, so yeah. it got around me and threw the little girl across the room. Could you explain a little bit more about what that was like and what happened to the little girl and how she felt? 
Well, she was okay, but she was 10 years old. And I don't know if, anybody, if people are familiar with this case. There's a book about it, and it was on the Travel Channel, uh, September of 20. Uh, there was a documentary about the Warrens. Yeah, a, a lot of us may be familiar yeah. with the case, but none yeah. of us have heard a first-hand witness talking personally right, about right. it right now, especially not I'm, an expert like you. So please tell us. I'm one of the you. few left. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the entire scene was, as I say, I believe it was demonic. These things, uh, th th there were things flying around the house at one point. Three firefighters and three policemen and I stood there watching the refrigerator and the kitchen levitate. But in, on this particular thing, Monday night, it, it, it you know, Whitley, one of the, the, the most difficult things is, is not facing the phenomena. It's having your belief system shattered. Oh, that's, all that's, that's the a, big fight. That's why the scientific community yeah. is going crazy about this stuff. They, they right. can't handle it because it's their belief system. It's, yeah, exactly. Their belief system blows up in their faces more completely than any other belief system in history because it is the most narrow belief system human beings have ever developed and also, yeah. ironically, the most successful in the sense yeah. that we have an enormous amount of gifts from science. We would not even be talking together like this, let alone on a video that anyone in the world can see without science. But right. science is also deeply wrong about the nature of the world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's materialistic, and materialism is dying. It's dying. You know, it, and, but some, for some, do you think your dad's suicide and seeing that kind of shattered the, the, the normal world, it, it broke the cosmic egg for you? Well, you might say that, yeah. You know, the, the most important thing for a child is to feel secure. Yeah. And w when this happens, it is the farthest thing from secure. You know, death, uh, which today I don't, I don't believe there is any such thing in any real sense because of the simultaneity. However, at the time, you know, it was, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't really have to explain any further. No, I know very well what you felt, and the reason is very simple. My wife had the same experience at the age of seven when her mother committed suicide, so I know in detail. I didn't know that about Anne. Oh, yes. And it shattered the cosmic egg for Anne, too. Anne became wow. the, most, the most skilled person in terms of dealing with and living an afterlife than I've ever known or even heard of. But let's let's go back now, though, uh, to this to this question of the the shattering of your of your expectations. You know, um, uh, there was a book written, uh, a study done about close encounter witnesses, and the only thing that was consistent in their lives about the witnesses was uh, the, the fact that something traumatic had happened to them in their childhood. And I have to ask you now, are there any, have you had close encounter experiences that you would characterize like the experiencers do as looking like alien contact? And we're going to talk a little bit more because we're going to get some interesting ideas about alien contact in a few minutes. But what do you, have well, you had any? I'll tell you, Whitley, I just described one. Because when these things came out of there and that one faced me, 
this thing was alien. That's the best word I can use. And it's funny because people see my seminary background and they must think, oh, you must think all aliens are demons. I said, actually, I've come to believe pretty much the opposite, that, that, that things we consider demons are actually aliens in a broad sense of the term. I don't know if they're from other planets. I don't know what that even means, if this multiverse thing is true. Uh, but these things felt completely other. And I would say that was my first encounter. Now, we were very often, Ben and I are invited to speak at the UFO conventions, far more than paranormal conventions, because when it comes to the latter, we're um, not good for business because because we question all their theories. But I find the uh, generally the, the UFO people are somewhat uh, more open and uh, intellectually pretty good folks. So... Uh, but 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 uh, you know I, I was asked if I was an experiencer. In other words, had I been abducted, uh, had I had a close encounter with uh, some of these something that, that leaped out of a UFO, and I would have to say no. But as I, as people would read my books and say, you, you are absolutely an experiencer. And uh, today, I, yeah, and today I, I'm uh, the paranormal consultant to the uh, uh, ERT, the Experiencer Resource Team of MUFON one of several and i'm honored yes. by that but uh they, they uh, i so yeah i'm definitely an experiencer yeah mufon has been opening up for years i think kathleen martin has had an enormous amount of influence she's been yes, on the show right. many times mm-hmm. and you know i want to just i was going to bring this up it's one of her stories uh, from from one of her books oh and the book i mentioned before it's ken rings uh book the omega project that I, uh, I, that was where that study appeared and Anne and i financed the study show i should certainly remember it in any case um uh, kathleen marden tells a story about a man who was um he had a small private airport and he found he could attract ufos to it i'm but, familiar with that case yeah, yeah well tell us well uh, let me set the scene and then we can t- I, i'll ask you what you know about it um uh, he ended up with what looked like little aliens in his hangar, and then uh, he ended up shooting one of them in the bedroom, and it haunted him after that. Do you have anything more about that case if you've studied it? Uh, well, I don't want to step on Kathy's toes, but uh, she no, shared no. some information. She's talked and about photos. it on the show before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- this is in Texas. In an area that we know as as uh, sort of a, uh, the Woodville Triangle, uh, near near the big thicket with all kinds of Bigfoot and cryptid sightings, and uh, there were actually photographs. Of, the man was the airport administrator, and he actually took a photo of a UFO that landed on the runway. Uh, he and he died under mysterious circumstances. He was not an old man by any means, and. Um, we have, my son and I have kind of hesitated to get to go down there and get too involved in it because we want to get a, a beat on what exactly is happening here. Uh, the um, There were a number of photos that he took of craft in the sky and things of this kind, uh, but the, the, the danger to life and limbs seemed to be real there, and we don't know at this point quite who was causing that. 
But uh, yeah, the, there were a, alien uh, incursions in, into his bedroom, and I heard about the shooting incident. So yeah, it's definitely the same case. Yeah, and it, it yeah, and you, you say you don't know quite what was going on there, quite who was responsible. Uh, what can you unpa- unpack that just a bit? Well, in other words, were people being wasted by aliens or by uh, the, the government or something that looks like the government? You know, that's it's who's behind these things. It looks like the government. Believe me, I'm very yeah. familiar with that. And it is okay, not, yeah. the, you know, they, they, there's this huge thing about the government having a huge secret presence and everything. But I know the difference between, I know an awful lot about this, frankly. And mm-hmm. there is something out there that can look like the government that is not, in fact, the government. Indeed. Yeah, we run into, our specialty is, uh, I don't want to get too far off the field here, but flap areas, as we call them, which are areas of intense paranormal activity of many kinds not traditionally associated with one another. And we always, always run into the military or something that looks like the military. And I'm talking about six areas at this point. Well, okay, free Dreamlanders, I have bad news and bad news, actually. The bad news is that it's time for you to say goodbye, and the even worse news is, I hate to see you go. Why don't you subscribe to the site, and we can do this together every week, and uh, we need you to support it, as you know. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.